Well, we're in this series. We're, we're, we're way deep into a series called Follow the Cloud this morning, or, or this week, this month. We're, we're way deep into this thing. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the story of the Exodus, uh, the story of the Israelites. Um, and we, we were talking about how God provided leadership for them in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In other words, you know, I'm not, I'm bringing you out of bondage, out of slavery, leading you to the promised land, but I'm not leaving you to do it alone. I'm actually providing my leadership, and I will show you the very next step you need as we walk and as we go toward this promised land. So God said, I'm here in the form, a physical form of a cloud and fire, and, and the people who were enslaved for hundreds of years, and that's so easy to read, I always say that. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a couple hundred years, it's several hundred years. That's a long time. It's generations. People who are enslaved for hundreds of years, lost, lonely, broken people, these Israelites. And remember, God comes to them, we said, not because they were good, but because He was good. And He sets them free. But He doesn't want to just, we said this in week one, He doesn't want to just set them free. He wants to teach them how to live free. And so He takes them on this journey from Egypt to the promised land, inviting them to follow Him just one next step at a time. He wants to help them discover who they are, who He is, and what they were created to do. And that's the thrust of this whole series. This whole looking at the examples from the Israelites and looking at our lives today. God wants you to discover who you are, who He is, and what you were created to do. The only problem is with the Israelites that at every turn, they didn't really believe that they were who God said that they are. And that he was who he said. And they really didn't believe that they were created to do anything. They didn't know why they were created. So they didn't buy in. They weren't, they weren't following. And if you read the account, they always wanted to go back to Egypt. Back to the past. Back to what was comfortable and convenient. It's like they would follow God. And then they would wander off in the things of the world. And their life would fall apart. They would panic, they'd cry out to God, and in His goodness and His grace, He would rescue them. And the cycle continued over and over and over again. And the reason this story resonates so much with us is because it's our story. We are a lost, broken, and lonely people with no ability to set ourselves free. And God comes to us not because we're good, but because He is good. And He sets you free, and He also wants to teach you how to live free. So He invites you on a journey to follow Him. One next step at a time to discover who you are, who He is, and what you were created to do. The only problem is, just like the Israelites, at every turn, we don't believe it. And we want to go back. 
We want to go back to Egypt. Back to what, what was comfortable and convenient. Back to the past. Back to what we knew. Back to actually a life of bondage. Then we, right, we follow God. We make a decision. We make some sort of a, an, 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 a, a commitment. And then we end up wandering off into the things of the world. Our life falls apart. We panic. We get, God help me. And then He comes and rescues us. God is a God of rescue. So we follow Him for a little while and then we back off again. And this cycle continues over and over and over again, a lot like the Israelites. And that's why it resonates so greatly with us. And yet in His goodness, He never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. See, God is leading us into a promised land. Only the promised land, unlike the Israelites, is not a physical place. The promised land is actually a revelation of who you are, who He is, and what you're created to do. And once you realize all of that, with with God's assistance following Him, then, 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 then this thing called grace becomes a bigger picture, becomes easier for you to start to understand. And today we're going to focus on a proper understanding of God's grace. As the scriptures teach. The problem is, we often have the world's definition of grace. And the world's definition of grace is, hey, it's no big deal. It really doesn't matter. No, you know, everybody else is doing it, so just forget about it grace, right? Pretend like it never happened. It's okay. I tried my best. The world's definition of grace says, you know what? This is, this is just who I am. So I, I'm going to be me, and it's okay for you to be you, and I'll be me, and we'll just agree to disagree, and it's okay. This is the world's definition. But grace is so much bigger, so much more than that. God's grace just to kind of give you a little snippet, a little something to take home, a little something to write down. If you're a note taker, you might want to write this next one down. If you're not much of a note taker, you might want to write this one down. God's grace forgives our sins, changes our identity, and it empowers us to live differently. So you can kind of prepare yourself this morning, kind of, kind of lean in a little bit, and let's walk through this together. Because I don't want there to be any confusion or any cheapening of God's grace. I want you to understand, biblically, we can walk through, and there's going to be a lot of scripture coming at you this morning. And I don't know how many of you know, but you can go online to our, our Faith Life group and see all of the notes that are um, part of this whole sermon. You could see all of the, uh, all the scriptures that are used, and you could go back and review all that. So you can follow that through the website and go through that. You can see all that again if you want to further study it. But I'm going to walk you through sort of the, 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 the Cliff Notes version. You can dig in deeper if you'd like. You see, when you start learning how to receive God's grace, it changes everything. It all starts with the first one. God's grace, the forgiveness of our sins. When God shows up for the Israelites, you're saying, Pastor, how, how, does, how does the Old Testament and God's grace and how does this all mesh together? Hang in there with me. When God shows up for the Israelites, they were slaves. 
These were people in debt, they were people in bondage, and they had no way to set themselves free. They were in captivity, bondage, slavery. Get a picture of that. You can't leave. You can't set yourself free. The Israelites. There's no way to set themselves free. There's no way to set themselves free at all from the bondage of slavery. And there's no way to set themselves free of the bondage of their sin. There's no way to take care of their past. And God comes to them. Not because they were good, but because He was good. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. It'll be on the screen if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles. Turn to that. Deuteronomy Chapter 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people or that you had anything special going on. For you were actually the fewest of all peoples. Hmm. But because, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to you and your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He brought you out because he loved you. It says that right there. Because the Lord loved you, he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Let's make this really clear again this morning. Uh, he, didn't, he says to them, I didn't come to you because you're awesome. I came because I'm awesome, is what God says. God says, I came to set you free out of slavery and redeem you and bring you into a life of freedom. And the same is true when Jesus comes to us, comes to you and me. Jesus doesn't come because you're good. He comes because He is good. And He comes and He moves in our lives and we are the least deserving, least expecting people, fewest of all. We haven't done anything right. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he comes anyway. And remember when Jesus hung on that cross and he said these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he also said three little words that are, that are the crux of it all. It is finished. In that moment, all your sin, all your shame, all the separation that you have with God was finished, taken care of, once for all time. All your sins, past, present, and future, have already been forgiven in Jesus' name. The things you used to do, the things you're struggling with now, the mistakes you'll make in the future... They've already been forgiven in Jesus' name. You say, how is that possible that a sin I haven't even committed has already been forgiven? Well, it was 2,000 years ago, if you remember, plus, when Jesus said, it is finished. See, all your sins were future then. Right? He said, it is finished. But done. That's the catchphrase today, right? I'm done. Jesus said, I'm done with this sin thing. It is finished. Let's look at a few more verses throughout Scripture and, and, and back all this up. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 says this, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. 
Jesus said that, those words. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The sins that you can't seem to forget are the one God says he can't seem to remember. That thing from 20 years ago, that thing you did last night, that things that, that has you hold on to that shame, the guilt, the condemnation in your life, that's the one that God says in Jesus, He can't even remember it because it's already been paid in full. It is finished. So why, why do, do we insist on holding on to something that God already said He's forgiven? How about this one? I I don't know if you're tracking with me this morning. I hope you are. Because I'm not getting a whole lot of nods or amens. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Right? Come on. How far is the east from the west? It's infinite. That's how far he has removed your sins from you. How about this one? Romans 8.1. Romans 8, my favorite book, my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what condemnation means? You know condemnation? It's kind of a big word, I know, but condemnation, it just means to be accused, found guilty, and deserving of punishment. That's con- You're condemned. Condemnation. Did you know that Jesus was condemned on the cross? He was found guilty in the world. He was given a punishment. He was punished actually for your sin and mine. And he was condemned on the cross. And now you can't be condemned by God because Jesus took care of it all on the cross. You can't be condemned by God. Jesus said those three words. It is finished. And now you can't be condemned. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God can't punish the same sins twice. It's been taken care of by Jesus. Not because you've earned it or deserved it. But this is what grace does. And this is very hard for us to understand. This is what grace does, and this is how it changes our lives. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to remember that in Him, we are already forgiven and set free. So we don't have to live with these things in the dark, or we can bring it right to Him, knowing that in Him, we've already been forgiven in Jesus' name. You tracking with me this morning a little bit? You alright? First thing, grace forgives our sins. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Grace forgives our sins. Not just like the little baby ones. All of them. Not just the really big ones. Not those big ones that we have all carry around all kinds of shame and all kinds of regret and all that. Not just the really big ones, but even the baby ones too. And I know that's how we think of it. God's grace forgives all of them. Say it with me, all of them. All of them. Good. That's how many? All of them. I mean, you remember the Passover? We're coming into Easter season, my favorite time of year. 
And, and it was the final plague before God set the Israelites free. And he tells them to take a spotless lamb and kill it and take its blood and put it on the doorpost of their house and then to stay in that house. And he said, the night, on that night, he was going to pass over all of Egypt and all the firstborn would be killed, but all who were under the blood would be safe. Remember that? What is that a picture of? Of course, it's a picture of Jesus, the lamb, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, right? The, the lamb is Jesus. John the Baptist tells us that. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The doorposts are a picture of the wood, the cross, right? And the blood, the blood of God that if we rest under, we are safe. And here's what I want you to see when he tells them in Exodus chapter 12, as we go through this Exodus book and Exodus process, um, he says this in Exodus 12. The blood will be a sign for who? For you. Wait a second, I thought when you passed over and, and God, when you saw the blood, I thought it was a sign for God that he would pass over the house. Exodus tells us the blood will be a sign for you. It's not a sign for God. He already knows what happened. He already knows. He already knows what he has done. The blood is a sign for us on your house. It's where you are. And God says, when I see that blood, I will pass over you. In other words, when God looks down and sees us under Jesus, He sees the perfection of Jesus. And we look up and we see the blood. It's a sign for us to remind us that we have already been forgiven and completely free. The blood is a sign for us. This is a big point for us to get. It was not a sign for God. It was for them. It's like, it's like wearing a ring, right? You wear a ring to remind you that you're married. Why do you have calendar appointments? Because it's to remind you that you have somewhere to go. Why do we write little sticky notes? Everybody do the sticky note thing? Anybody do that? Put little sticky notes on everything? Why? To remind you, right? So you can see that. See, the blood is a reminder to us that in Christ we are fully forgiven and set free. It's for us. Okay, pastor, how does he then forgive us and set, our, and set us free? I'm glad you asked. We, well, we simply receive his grace. Forgiveness is a choice that God has already made. You with me? Forgiveness is a choice that God has already made. God said, you know what? Jesus on the cross, it is finished. I am going to forgive you. Forgiveness is a choice that God has already made. Receiving His grace is a choice that we get to make. And it starts, His grace, it starts with forgiving our sins. But it doesn't stop there. Point number two, God's grace changes our identity. God's grace changes our, it forgives our sins, but God's grace changes our identity. When God sets the Israelites free and he brings them out of Egypt, you know that it says that they will leave with all of the gold of Egypt? This is amazing to me. They just spent 400 years as poor slaves and they get set free and God moves in the hearts of the Egyptians to give them the gold. They literally leave Egypt as rich sons. 
They spent their lives as poor slaves with nothing. They leave as rich sons. He, all, he canceled their debt. He forgave their sins, but He credited their account. He blessed them in the heavenly realms also with all of the spiritual riches. And it's the same thing He does for us. Look at this in Exodus 19. It says this, that you will be for me, this is God speaking to the, to the nation of Israel, who were just slaves, and he brought them out of slavery, literally just slaves. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now catch the radicalness of this. They spent hundreds of years making bricks for Pharaoh in bondage and slavery, God sets them free, Pharaoh sets them free, and they are now sons, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And they have the wealth of Egypt. Does this sound radical to you? Like we were just over here in bondage, and now all of a sudden we're, we're free, and, and our identity is changed, and now you're calling us a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? That's a radical identity change. And it's a prophetic picture of how radical the identity shift God does in you and me. When we actually receive the grace of Jesus. New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a lot of you will know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, important, he is, say it with me, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and this is, this is, the, those two words, passed away, what do we say when people die? Well, they've passed away. You know, they've passed, they've passed away. <laughs> That's what we tell them. And we say that to be Cordial and, you know, well, so-and-so passed, passed away. So if you take that and put it into this verse, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has died, right? The old has died. Dead, dead is dead, right? Dead, dead is dead, right? Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has died, passed away, and the new has come. And this new creation is literally the word metamorphosis. That's where this comes from. It's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's such a complete identity change. It's a new nature, a new reality. No one would even confuse, if anyone didn't know, a butterfly with a caterpillar. These are two, two different things we're looking at. The old has gone, the new has come. God has not only canceled your debt, He has credited your, your account with a new identity and a new reality. You were slaves, you're now a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's radical. I would say the day that the butterfly flies in the sky, that's a pretty radical change from being a caterpillar spending his whole lifetime up until then crawling around in the dirt. And the same is true with you and me. 
All right, this is the verse I couldn't wait to get to. Then again, my favorite book in the Bible, Romans. You want, you want grace explained? Go to Romans. It's important to get this next verse because it's so important to the gospel. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. This is an identity statement. This is who we were. So also, through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. This is an identity statement. This is who you were to who you are in Christ. And here's what we have to catch. When Adam was in the garden, and he sinned and rebelled against God, in that moment, he wrecked the identity of humanity. He ruined our identity. He made us what we would be called from then on called sinners. Right. Some of you already get it. He made us sinner became our identity. It, it became who we were. Uh, we're and catch this church and, and if you need to write this down it'd be a good place. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. You get that? I know it's kind of like, Pastor, that's a trick uh, spray. What are you trying to wrap something around? No, here's the deal. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. How about this one? And you might, you might have played this game before, but I'm going to play it with you. Dogs bark. Yeah, stay with me. Like, what do dogs do? Watch, follow me, follow me. So let's try again. Dogs, birds, chirp fly, whatever. Birds do what they do. Cows, pigs, cats, annoy. Right, cats annoy. That, that's an, not sorry. That's an identity, but that's an identity that leads to a reality, though. That's who we are. That's who they are. Dogs bark because they're dogs. Right? Birds fly because they're birds. Cats annoy because they're cats. But that's an identity that leads to the reality, right? We don't, we're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we, we're sinners. It's our identity. It's who we were. When you're born into this world, you're trapped in this prison of sin. Why? Because you come from the lineage of Adam. It's your nature. It's your identity. You're born in this prison of sinners. Sinners, sinner was your identity. So sin was the life you were going to live. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we look around and we see the world, they're sinning, right? But why are these people sinning so much? Well, because that's who they are. That's all they can do. It's their identity. It's the natural, normal reality of their life. And you were trapped in a prison of sin. There was nothing you could do to get yourself out. And then, I'm reminded of the song, Homecoming. And then Jesus came. And he broke down my prison walls. When you put your faith in Jesus, receive his grace, he rescues you from being a slave to sin. You were a slave to sin. Remember what the Israelites before God came and rescued them. They were a slave. It moves you from a slave to sin... 
And it moves you over here into this position of righteousness. Now you are righteous, not because you live righteously. You live righteously because you're now righteous. Your identity has been established. You're now included with Christ, in Christ. You've been made righteous through Him, just like Adam, and this is the scripture, just like Adam made us sinners, Jesus has now made us righteous. 2 Corinthians tells us that God made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And literally, literally Jesus became our sin on the cross, and that's hard for us to comprehend, but literally Jesus became our sin on the cross so we could become the righteousness of God. He changed your identity. That's radical. And now you don't need from the world what you already have in God. Listen to me. You don't need the approval of men. You already have the validation of your Heavenly Father. You don't have to spend your life trying to get the world to say what God has already said about you. That you're loved and He is well pleased with you. So God's grace forgives our sins, changes our identity, and lastly, it empowers us to live differently. When God set the Israelites free, and He brings them out, He gives them the Ten Commandments, right? Remember that? How could you forget? Right? Charlton Heston, right? We know. It's coming up. We're all going to get to watch it. The Ten Commandments. He gives these people, the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. We look at the Ten Commandments as this like burdensome, religious, like weighty, Thing The Ten Commandments really were just teaching them how to live free. Really. They had spent their lives as slaves. They didn't know how to live free. And I would submit to you that not committing adultery, not lying, not stealing, that to me sounds like a life of freedom. And before God gives them the Ten Commandments, the, ver- the first verse of the entire Ten Commandments, right before He kind of gives them those Ten Commandments, is this Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Grace in the Old Testament. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And now here comes how to live free. The Ten Commandments, the law. Even the Ten Commandments, the entirety of the law starts with grace. Before God asks you to do anything, He shows you that He's already done everything. Before God asks you to do anything, He will always point you back and say, Hey, remember what I've already done. Now from this reality, live free. That's why when Jesus shows up in the upper room, remember when Jesus visited those disciples that were scared to death in the upper room? What are we going to do? He said he was going to raise himself, and I don't know what's going on. And the first thing he does is he shows the disciples his hands and his side. He shows them he's already done everything before he asks them to do anything. Look at what I've done. This is it. I'm back. I'm here. I was pierced, and now I'm raised. So now let's go do this. Grace changes you. It empowers you to live differently. 
And this is the invitation, I think, for our church for this season and the next season and those to come. This is the revelation that we have to get. Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. Titus 2.12. It, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches us to live differently. It empowers us from the inside out. It not only gives you a desire, but it gives you the ability to walk in the ways of God. It teaches us. Grace teaches us. It allows you to walk in the Spirit instead of in the flesh. It allows you to live according to your new nature instead of your old nature. The law can tell you what to do, but only grace can empower you to do it. The law can tell you not to covet, but only grace can teach you how to be grateful for your own life. The Old Testament is full of this. The law can tell you that you need to tithe, right? We look at the law. This is what you need to do. In fact, Jesus said you should at least be doing this. The law can tell you to tithe, tithe, but only grace can give you a generous spirit. And it's important for us to catch this. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. The law was given from Moses from a distance by God. And the law demands everything from you. And it offers nothing to you. The law is heavy. The law is weighty. It's unflexible. The law is rigid and exacting. And the law will crush you. Because you can never keep all of those on your own. But grace. Grace demands nothing from you. And it offers everything to you. The law was given from a distance through Moses, but grace and truth came near through Jesus Christ. So what I want you to see is that that Jesus is not just grace. Jesus is grace and truth. And grace and truth is Jesus. Grace leads me to truth. So truth causes me to be desperate for grace. The grace of God will lead me to walk out God's truth that will set me free. So when a truth is brought into your life, when a sometimes this is this is this is called it comes in the way of conviction. Sometimes truth comes to you in the way of conviction and says, "Hey, here's the truth." Here's maybe someone might point something out in your life. How do you receive that? Or, or the Holy Spirit may point something out in your life and check you, and you're kind of like, uh-oh. You see, God's grace, when truth is brought into my life, I realize that I can't do this on my own, so it makes me desperate for God's grace, and it empowers me to live differently. And here's how you know if you're living under the law, or, living, living, or if you're receiving grace. If you're confronted or convicted or challenged by some measure of truth that comes into your life, under the law, you would be prideful. You'd be judgmental. You'd be defensive. Under grace, you'll be desperate and hunger with humility for the grace of God. That's how you know. 
You'd be hungry for the grace of God when He checks you on something. Instead of being defensive and say, well, God, that's just how I am, God. You don't understand my situation, God. If, you, if God speaks to you and checks you on something, God, you know I can't change that. Do you know the fallout that would happen if I change that, God? Come on. If you're living under the law, that's right. That's how you'll react. But if you're living in God's grace, God says, hey, I'm checking you on this. And you're going to say, you know what? I know, God, that you will empower me to walk out this truth. And no matter what the fallout is, no matter what the shrapnel is that that has to happen for me to make this change in my life, God, I trust you. I live in your grace, and I know that your grace will empower me to walk through this truth in my life. Remember those chairs we set up? Remember that a few weeks ago? And and we said that, that the blessing of God is in that farthest chair? When you live in Christ, when you obey the, the, what God has put forth for you, etc., you live for Him, you live in His grace. When you live in God's grace, you can expect the blessing of God. But if you don't live in His grace, the blessing of God is far from you. Grace leads us to truth. This is why the whole worldly version of grace, especially in the church, is is bad, is horrible. Because the worldly version of grace, it's no big deal. It's okay. Everybody else, hey, I did my best. Look, I'm just who I am. You be who you you are. I'll be me. That's a misunderstanding of grace at its best. A flat-out rejection of God's grace at its worst. Stay with me for two more minutes. Romans 6. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Here's the big one. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Paul says, by no means. Let's get through it. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have, having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Paul flat out says, hey, just because you're under grace doesn't mean to go do whatever the heck you want to do. He says, if you actually understand God's grace, if you actually get grace, you realize you have a new nature, a new identity, and now you're empowered to not crawl in the dirt, but to soar in the sky. Even when we mess up and we fail, we got to go right back to the beginning that He's already forgiven our sin. But let me also unapologetically say that the Bible says it is better to have never believed than to believe and walk away. There's two words there I want you to hear. Walk away. Try to get your mind around this. It took me a long time to understand this. The same grace that saves you, that same grace will allow you to walk away. Make no mistake about it. 
God's grace gives us the free will to decide that we are going to receive His grace. We can reject it. It's not forced upon us. God would never force Himself on you. Never. The same grace that would give you the freedom to receive Him, that's that same grace. He loves you so much. He will not force His grace on you or force him anything on you. That same grace will allow you to walk away. You clear? But it's a totally different way of thinking what Paul is saying here. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, forgiven, identity changed. He says, and his grace to me was not without effect. I love that. Paul says, no, I worked harder than all of them, and yet not I, but the grace of God that was was within me. This is probably Paul's life verse. He basically says that God's grace forgave him and changed him, and it wasn't without effect. Like it changed, Paul said, it changed me. It changed who I am. It changed my identity, and I'm never going back. Someone said to me, Pastor, do you believe once saved, always saved? I said, for me, I do believe it. Because I'm never going back. I'm never walking away. So yes, when I received God's grace and His forgiveness, that, that settled it for me. I believed those three words, and I, I adopted those three words. Alright, it's finished. I'm never walking away, God. Paul said that, and he said, you know what, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't without effect. He worked harder than all of them, he said. And, and, he's, and, and that just means that he lived differently than everyone else around him. Because your life looks different than everyone else's, you have to ask yourself, am I actually receiving grace? Because Paul said that it, it wasn't without effect. Like when I received God's grace, Paul said, it affected me. It made me look different. Grace forgave my sins. Grace changed my identity. And grace empowered me to live differently. And Paul said, I live differently. I don't look the same as as people who don't live under grace. My life doesn't look the same. My life looks different. Like the people of, uh, that don't live under grace, the people that, the, the lost, the people that are not forgiven, that, are, that, are, that haven't received forgiveness. You know these people that live outside, they're not saved people. Their lives look very different than your life, at least it should. God's grace is not without effect. Paul said, I received His grace and it changed me. It affected me. It empowers me to live a completely different reality. My question for you this morning is, are you receiving God's grace? Are you living under grace? I'm not talking about one time when you were 12, you walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer. Come on up, Randy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living under grace. Living it. Those Israelites, they didn't know where to go. They were slaves for so long, they didn't know, they didn't know how to act. They were sinners. They didn't know. They had no clue. How do we even... We don't even know how to act. We don't know how to live free. What is this living free? And sometimes that's very jarring to a person 
who has lived a certain way for so long, and then they hear that this message of grace and how they can live differently in Christ, and it's too it's like too much. It's like I, I couldn't, I could never live that way. I don't even know how to live that way. It's foreign. God brought them out and he set them free. And he gave them a cloud and a pillar of fire. So that they could follow that. They could follow him. His presence was with them. And they could follow him. Not knowing what the next step was. But God gave him them his assurance. Because every time they thought, we don't know how we're going to live. This is the only way we know how to live. God, oh, there he is. There he is. And we do the same thing. We, 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 we go about our lives. We maybe even come into church and we hear a message about grace and forgiveness and how could I and I don't think I can because of all the stuff that needs to happen. And God, I don't know how I'm going to live if you don't. I mean, I know you call me to this and if I want to live in your blessing, God, yeah, I know I should be, but that's scares me because I don't know how to live any differently and what will people say and and what will my life look like and how different will I need to act and live and and the, the, the fallout that would happen if I changed my life and lived for God pastor do you know what that would do all I know is that God provides his grace to us to empower us to live differently And what else matters? What else matters? A.W. Tozer said it well. And I'm paraphrasing. A lot of people say I'm paraphrasing. That's a fancy word for I'm remembering it as best I can. (laughs) A.W. Tozer said that your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life. He probably said it way more eloquently. But that's what he was saying. Your relationship with God the Creator is the most important thing in your life. You, folks, you're not promised tomorrow. So the most important thing in your life today is your relationship with God. And just as God provided, and it's it's interesting, this is just hitting me right now. Just as God provided them a cloud something physical that they could sort of latch onto and see and say, you know what, there's God. That's the cloud. That's the pillar of fire. It's something tangible. He didn't have to do that. He's God, right? He could have just said, I'm here. Y'all just need to know that. But he provided a physical reminder, a physical guidance of something that they could look at. And as I turn around, the symbol that God has provided is right in front of me. This is our guidance. This is our remembrance. This is our assurance that we are forgiven and that God will empower us to live differently. God, where do we turn? Turn to the cross. No condemnation, right? We read that. The cross is not something that you, that you look at and you're supposed to feel all guilty and terrible and, and oh man, I need to come to God because I'm, I'm the worst of the worst. God's grace says, 
I'm guiding you. Follow me is what it says. John 3.16 said that God loved the world that he sent his only son, right? And his only son died on that cross for you and for me. John 3.17 says that God, Christ did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. That's what he's saying to us. This cross is about being saved, not being condemned. That cross is about being saved, living under God's grace. Would you stand with me? We'll wrap this up. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has revealed some things, said some things to you this morning. And I've hope, I would hope that some eyes have been opened to what God's grace really means. Biblically, we walk through it. So if you'd bow your heads with me this morning, take this opportunity to not be distracted or looking around and concerned with what your neighbor's doing or what the person in front of you is doing and just to focus and take a moment with your heads bowed and if it helps to close your eyes and say, you know what, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me this morning? And I don't, I don't, I don't care if you've been a Christian for a hundred years or whether you're just trying to dip your toe in this thing called faith and find out what, what it's all about. The opportunity is still there for you to live under grace. No one is in this room this morning by accident. God has led you to this place. God has led you to this place physically, and God has led you to this place spiritually today in your life. He is extending grace to you. He's already provided it. That's what He does. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you His grace. All we need to do is receive it. Receive it and live on it, live in it. If that's you this morning and you're, and you're here and you're thinking, you know what? I'm ready to deal with whatever needs to be unraveled. I'm ready to deal with whatever the circumstances are if I surrender to this thing called grace, if I surrender to this one called Jesus and receive His grace and His forgiveness. You say to me, Pastor, I'm ready to, I'm ready to take that step. You wonder why your life seems to be somewhat of a, uh, uh, of a mess? <laughs> not saying it's not going to be hard, but I'm saying you'll have someone to walk through it with you. And you won't tread through this life alone. If you want to take this opportunity this morning to surrender and you know that you know if God's talking to your heart, don't leave here the same as you came in. This is your opportunity. And if you're ready this morning to surrender and say, you know what? I'm ready to live under grace. I've been trying to do it myself and on my own for a long time. 
How's that working for you? You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it by yourself. You do it with God's guidance and God's grace. He's there for you. He extends this invitation to you this morning. Nobody looking around. It's kind of a personal moment, kind of a personal decision for right this moment. I want to pray for you. I want to lift you before the throne. And so God would see that and see your commitment and see your decision. And if that's you this morning, I'll give you the opportunity. Just slip your hand up where you are and say, that's, that's me, Pastor. I need to live under this grace. I've been trying to do it and trying and trying and trying and it's not working. And I can't try hard enough. And you're right, you can't. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. And you don't deserve God's grace. It's a free gift. If you want to receive God's grace this morning, just say, that's me, Pastor. I need His grace. I need to start here. I'm done doing it on my own. I need to start here. And I'll deal with whatever happens. And I'll deal with the fallout. But I need God in my life. I need His grace, His blessing, His forgiveness. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, yeah, that's me this morning. You're talking to me. Talking to me. Father God, you know what happens in the hearts of individuals that make this type of commitment. Father, I would ask that you would bless those who seek your grace this morning. I would ask, Father, that in Jesus' name this morning, that people would be set free. People would be set free and would realize and really internalize that your grace is available for everybody. And that your grace empowers us to live differently. And Father, we that have embraced your grace, have received your grace, have received Jesus and are living differently, Father, give us a new portion. Fill us, I would I would ask of you, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to empty ourselves of ourselves and to be filled with your Spirit. Father, we need you. None of us in this room, God, we understand that none of us are promised our very next breath. So God, as critical as it is to live under your grace and to receive Jesus and to believe, Lord, that you sent Jesus to die on a cross in my place to cover my sin, past, present, and future. God, that's mind-blowing to those of us that have received that truth. And I pray, Lord, that if there's one person within the sound of my voice this morning that needs to be forgiven and needs to receive your grace, receive your truth, receive you, Lord Jesus, 
that, Lord, they would make that decision before they leave this place, even right now. God, we give you all of the glory this morning for meeting us here. And God, I pray that you would bless and that you would guide every person's life in this room, joining us online, wherever we're hearing this message this morning. God, it is by grace that we are saved and not on our own so that we can't boast. I thank you in advance for what you're about to do because we heard from the Holy Spirit this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would go with us as we depart from this place. May we not depart from your presence. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and we pray for his sake. And everyone agreed saying amen and amen. God bless you.